So, I'd just like to welcome everybody, even though you've uh, been uh, welcomed and introduced thoroughly by uh, ah, yeah, the managers and so forth. Um, I thought uh, we could begin the evening with... Uh, yeah, they haven't been passed out yet, so maybe a few people could help pass out the, the uh, chanting books. Spruce this place up since the last time I was here. So, um, Maybe we could just begin with a short period of chanting, uh, and just to immediately begin by confusing matters, we can start with the morning chanting. (laughs) Let's get that unpredictability element in, and we'll just do the the first section of it um, in Pali and English. Uh, So that begins on page 18, and we'll just do that up to the... uh, uh, end of the Namo Tassa. Also, for those of you who might not be familiar uh, with uh, our uh, uh, traditional chanting and um, and so forth, uh, the uh, the melody is signified by the um, little triangles above and below various letters, syllables, and um, it's a three-note system. Very simple. If there's a tr- there's a home note. You know, the home pitch. If it, uh, a letter has a, a triangle below it, you go down one note. If it has a triangle above it, you go up one note. And if it has no triangle, you stay on the home note in the middle. And if you can't follow that, then it'll slowly become uh, apparent as the days go by. Also, the uh, the other accents, uh, like a bar across the top of the A or a I or a U, those kind of things... That just makes the sound of that vowel a bit longer. So it's, uh, say in the first line, Bhagava. But uh, we can get into the details of Pali grammar and pronunciation later if we need to. <laughs> but that gives you enough to go along with. Also, um, I like to uh, um, always establish it that you know, devotional practices are not compulsory. You can't be ob- ob- obliged to be devotional. You know, the chemistry doesn't quite work. <laughs> so um, if you don't feel comfortable chanting and bowing and so forth, uh, as is uh, um, the part of these, these pujas, morning and evening, then please uh, feel free to, to just sit and listen and watch and uh, join in that way so that uh, you're not sort of being pressurized by the sort of religious authorities or either internal or external into because uh, sort of complying with what everyone else is doing. So if you don't feel comfortable joining in, or, uh, then do feel uh, fully permitted just to, to sit and watch and listen. So, so we'll begin with that, and then after um, after that there's also... Oh, did you pass out the... Okay, we'll, we'll do that one later. Yeah. Um, after we've done the the opening part of the morning chanting, then we'll do the, uh, the discourse on uh, loving-kindness which you will find 
um, on page 36. So after the, um, the first part of the chanting, we'll do the discourse on loving kindness in, in English, page 36. So start on page 18 and then after that to 36. benefit and for the happiness it gives us 
Disciples who have practiced well, Sangang Namami, I bow to the Sangha. And my young Buddhasa Bhagavato, Bubaba Kanama Karangaroma Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Homage to the Blessed Noble and Perfectly Enlightened One Homage to the Blessed Noble and Perfectly Enlightened One Homage to the Blessed Noble and perfectly enlightened We'll do the uh, Buddhist teaching on loving-kindness. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, 
peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. Spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. If we could uh, take the lights down, we'll have a a uh, sitting meditation period now. If we could take the spotlights, that's perfect.
And give yourself a few minutes simply to relax and to allow all of the, the long chain of events and actions that have enabled you to, to arrive here at this time, to let that all disappear into the past, to let the, the memory fade, and simply to bring the attention to the body, to let ourselves settle, to relax into this moment, Nothing else to do than to be here. Feeling the presence of the body, the mood of the mind. Just letting ourselves arrive, be at ease. Nothing we have to plan, nothing we have to reiterate. Just giving ourselves a a full permission to let go, to know the body, to know the mind. Gently and steadily relaxing into the meditation posture, Letting the spine straighten, the body just relax around that. Absolutely nothing special.
all the different feelings that we sense within the body. Soft and hard, pleasant, painful, neutral. Just to let the attention settle upon the rhythm of the breathing. This is a cluster of, of feelings, of sensation that is soothing, subtle, ever-present, ever-changing. Just allow the, the rhythm of the breath, that cluster of feeling, be right at the center of attention. Consciously laying everything else aside. Our unfinished preparations, hopes and plans and fears, opinions, regrets, urgencies. Consciously leave all that at the periphery. Leave it aside. Let the simple rhythm of the breath occupy the center. Feeling it, taking shape, each in-breath, each out-breath, regardless of how far the mind drifts and wanders and what colorful universes it creates, to just relinquish, release those. Bring the attention back to the center. Such a simple response. It's so all-encompassing, so essential.
It's a truly um, a delight to be here at uh, IMS. Uh, can't really say it again, since uh, this isn't the same hall as it was before. <laughs> uh, I see many familiar faces and uh, dear friends, also many... Uh, new people, uh, and so I can't be sure exactly who is familiar with our uh, uh, traditions and customs and style of doing things, uh, and who is not. So for some, perhaps this is um, a delightful revisiting, reiteration of favorite themes as same old tunes being played again. Yay! Namo <laughs> Tassa. That's an old favorite. Uh, and others, this is uh, very new and strange. And maybe you've been on uh, vipassana meditation retreats with uh, with lay teachers, and said, ooh, this is this is really different. Oh, wow, didn't expect this. Um, and so whether it's uh, familiar or unfamiliar, or whether you have a, uh, this is uh, something you've been looking forward to for a long time, or this is great, you know, one holiday of the year, and I got a chance to, to be on a, 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 a longish retreat, um, and that one's feverishly excited, you know, in a kind of dharmic way, <laughs> how great this is going to be, and how marvelous, how long I've been looking forward to this, and how wonderful and splendid this is going to be. Or whether you suddenly started remembering how you felt on the last five retreats that you did. What did I do? I've done it again. Why did I sign up for this? I'm crazy. Didn't I tell myself never again? What excuse can I come up with? I have to run away. Or uh, or anything you know in between. Yeah. Ah, there it is. Same old. Same old. One of the the the, uh, the qualities I like to uh, emphasize that the the beginning of every retreat, whether it's familiar or it's all new or um, we're uh, uh, excited or or frightened or just tired <laughs> or mediocre, whatever it might be, whatever the mood might be, might be whatever the um, 
our, our background or our experience might be that uh, the most helpful thing at the beginning of a, a time we, we're gathering together now we've all come from our various places uh, actually uh, Taranir and I came from California even though she's almost local <laughs> she was teaching a retreat in California last week so We'll be very perky in the evenings and a bit dull in the mornings for a couple of days. <laughs> Ajahn Punadamo has come from uh, uh, Ontario, uh, northern Ontario, and I know many of you have come from far and wide, and we've all gathered here and uh, make the commitment to be here for the, the length of the whole retreat. Um, so that uh, what I always like to encourage is a, a very clear and conscious intention uh, at the beginning of this time. Uh, and this applies as much in a way to us who are leading it as with those of you who are participating, you know, if there's any real distinction, <laughs> is to uh, set the intention to uh, let everything teach us. There are times when it's going kind of well, quote unquote, and you know, the mind is peaceful and calm and uh, we feel undistracted and settled and happy. And uh, the times when it's not going well, when we've got a, a, uh, an obsessive thought rattling around in our mind or some damn tune that just won't go away, <laughs> uh, some anxiety in our life that uh, we can't quite park and keeps coming back and nibbling gnawing away at our, our uh, attention. Can't settle, restless, irritated, everybody's wrong. <laughs> her, her shawl is horrible. How can he wear those shoes? What did they do to the, to the spinach? I don't like this paint. What did they do to this tree? Everything's wrong and it's somebody else's fault. <laughs> or everything's wrong with ourselves, you know. I've got the wrong mind, the wrong body, the wrong personality. I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. Born in the wrong era, probably in the wrong universe. Definitely to the wrong parents. It's all wrong. But no matter how, how intense that feeling of wrongness or out-of-placeness or, or insecurity uh, might be or irritation, there's never a state or, or an event that we can't learn from. So, uh, this, and this is the, the sort of great Buddhist conjuring trick. It's a sort of dharmic version of the, of the three-card trick. You, know. you can always find out where the, the queen of spades is. Because uh, no matter uh, how wonderful and beautiful, no matter how mundane and ordinary, no matter how painful or difficult uh, things might be, Whatever it is, we can always um, we can always find that uh, the, the truth in it by saying, "Ah, oh, well, this is a mind state. This is an experience. Experiences arise and cease. What is this teaching me? This is a really uncomfortable, unwanted, uninvited state. This is exactly what I didn't want to happen. And here it is. This is the most irritating thing." Maybe the person that you're sharing the room with has got a really irritating habit, but it's not quite bad enough or illegitimate enough that you could actually complain to a manager about. So then you're in a moral dilemma. Should I complain about my roommate? 
round and around and around it goes. And so that no matter how uh, intense or, or, or important or insignificant, exalted or, or, or mundane or profane it might be, every single thing that we experience, physical or mental, we can always take that step outside, take that step back and ask, what's this teaching me? What can I learn from this? Even when it's, it's, everything has gone completely wrong, you've completely messed up, it's gone absolutely catawampus. It's an American expression I learned. <laughs> we, don't, we don't go catawampus in England. Skew-whiff. If everything's gone skew-whiff or gone pear-shaped. Everything's gone pear-shaped, that's another English expression. If everything's gone pear-shaped, then you can take that step back and say, well, what's this teaching me? And what it teaches us is that sometimes life goes pear-shaped. Yeah, sometimes everything does go catawampus. It's, uh, everything is not as we would wish or plan or expect. And then similarly, uh, if things are, are going well, and it's exactly what we, we have wanted, oh, this is great, my mind is peaceful, everything is serene, I love everyone in the hall, Dharma is totally perfect. I, I have utter devotion to the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. If I, if I feel like having an insight, I just turn my attention to, to uh, the contemplation mode. Bing! And then blazing insights arise in neat order and I wait long enough so I can write them down in my little notebook. They don't even evaporate too quickly. You know. It's all absolutely ideal. Well, even then, we can say, well, what's this teaching me? What it teaches us is that sometimes everything goes absolutely as we would wish. It doesn't mean to say that it's intrinsically good, that it feels good, or that things go as we wish. But it means sometimes it's, things are exactly as we like. And that's very, very sweet. Oh, there's sweetness in life. Look at that. Sometimes it's, it's absolutely sweet. And then we find as we take that step outside, we take that step back, in a way, we see the trick. Uh, it's like knowing how the conjurer is doing the trick. We see how the trick is done, the trick of, of uh, Mara, the, the trick of the sense world. Ah, like, oh, when things are what I, uh, go the way I don't like, or things are disappointing or boring, then I call that bad. And I think that's an absolute quality. I, when, I, when, I, when my mind says, that's bad, or it shouldn't be that way, that's something that... I tend to believe. It's just a thought. It's just a judgment. There's actually nothing solid there. It's just a way of perceiving. Aha, that's the trick. And similarly, when things go well, you know, when we're praised or, or, or the mind goes peaceful and calm or we have beautiful insights and we uh, experience you know, hitherto un, unknown uh, clarity and tranquility, then we say, oh, this is... Getting what I want is so sweet. <laughs> but this is actually just a sweet taste, a sweet feeling. That's all. And just as the bad is no more than that, and so too the sweet, uh, the good is no more than that. That's the trick, is that when, when things go well and things are good, ah, oh, this is great, at last my practice is coming together. This is probably the most fatal thought any, anyone who's ever done any kind of meditation practice can have is, at last my practice is coming together. 
So you can hear Mara going, oh, great. Got a live one here. This is going to be so much fun. Yeah, there we are, tootling. Oh, this is great. All the traffic lights are green. Yeah. No cops around. Beautiful day. Wee. And I don't even have to say what happens next. You know? <laughs> Did you know that you were traveling at 93 miles an hour? Oh, really, officer? Oh, terribly sorry. So when we, uh, we, we make that resolution to learn from everything, to be taught by everything, then, in a way, nothing can go wrong. Even if you're, you become... Utterly disappointed with Buddhism meditation, totally irritated by uh, me and Ajahn Punadamo, Taraniya, IMS, Massachusetts, <laughs> the weather, the USA. Then, even no matter how convincing the mind's arguments are, or even if you're just feeling so depressed and nebulous, you can't even get a good aversion going. <laughs> I'm just so wishy washy, I can't even focus my irritation. I can't even stay annoyed. I'm so just such a blurry, nondescript, half-baked being, or kind of almost being. <laughs> even then, there's, there's always that, that capacity to step back and say, wow, this is a really blurry, undefined, nebulous state. It's a state. It begins, it, it abides for a while, it ends. That's what it is. No more, no less. So then, throughout this, this time, if we make a, a, a firm commitment to that, that ethic, that principle, then when things go well, we learn from it. When things go badly, we learn from it. When things are utterly unremarkable, we learn from it. Everything teaches us. And so then, uh, just as, as in nature, you know, the, the way that the natural order works, natural systems work, is that nothing is lost, nothing is wasted, everything is used to some kind of advantage. It's just a matter of, of uh, seeing uh, the opportunity and letting that capacity to, to learn, to study, to understand, uh, to be applied. If we don't have that in mind, then even if things go well, we get totally drunk on it. Think, oh, this is great. I had a really great retreat. How was your retreat at IMS? Oh, it was great. It was so great. Taranir gave these really inspiring Dhamma talks and she had these kind of neat, neat phrases and Ajahn Punadhamma, he's kind of so clear-minded, so helpful. And Ajahn Amro, he comes up with these sort of interesting anglicisms that I don't really understand all the time, but they sound really impressive. <laughs> it was great. And my mind was clear and focused and, you know, we just get carried away with the whole thing. And so the next time, you know, you sign up in for the next one and, and then you got a runny nose and you've got a sibling conflicts and an and, 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 uh, unnegotiable overdraft and, and you can't settle and you can't focus. Ah, oh, it was so good last time. Damn. And then even though, you know, it, it might be, you know, the, the set of problems or difficulties are really not that remarkable because it was so sweet, it was so good last time. It means that you can't really deal with the ordinary mundane obstructions that well because the, the goodness, the sweetness, the perfection of the last one is just like that. 
oh, it was so good. It was so sweet. It was so right. Now. <laughs> it's all useless. It's all wrong. It's all bad. So we, that goodness becomes an obstruction. Now, this is one of the, the teachings that uh, Ajahn Chah used to emphasize over and over again. Just this, During this last uh, three-month winter retreat we had at the Abhayagiri Monastery in California, we were reading the sort of entire Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Sumedho canon out loud to the whole community. And one of the things that was really striking was how often, over and over and over again, Ajahn Chah would, would, would in the same breath, say, don't attach to unhappiness, don't attach to happiness, don't attach to, to failure, don't attach to success. Attaching to goodness is just as lethal as attaching to, to badness. Every time he would almost invariably never speak about uh, about uh, attaching to, to suffering or difficulty without talking about su- attaching to success and goodness and happiness. He saw it just as the same thing. He says either grasping suffering is like grabbing hold of the head of the snake. It bites you right away and it's painful right away. Grabbing hold of happiness is like taking hold of the, the tail of the snake. Wait, look, this is fine. Well, why is this, what, who's, what's this about a snake being dangerous? You know, Because the teeth aren't at the tail end, but... Doesn't if you've ever picked up a snake, <laughs> you know that they don't like being picked up, and uh, and pretty soon, within a, a second, it's whipped around and and the head's bitten you just the same. It's the same snake, it's still got the same teeth. So grasping happiness and success is just like grasping unhappiness and failure. So when we make that that uh, intention, we set that intention to learn from everything. In a way, what we're doing is we're learning how to pick up the snake. <laughs> so what you do is you get a stick and you, you gently place the stick just behind the snake's head. So you hold it in place and then you reach down and then you take it firmly with your good hand. With your, If you're a lefty, you pick it up with your left hand. If you're a right hand, you pick it up with, with your good hand. You take it right behind the head and pick it up. Then it can't bite you and it's safely in your hand. So coming on retreat like this, it's rather the precepts and the, the routine. It's rather like the stick. <laughs> you, know, you place the stick carefully and firmly right behind the snake's head. You hold it down, and then, and then uh, the wisdom faculty using the precepts wisely is like the hand that picks the snake up. And then you can handle it and and, and deal with the uh, the potential for for suffering. And take the snake carefully, put it in a in a uh, in a sack, carry it, or a uh, we usually we usually use a kind of garbage bin for rattlesnakes. So take them in a garbage bin up to, further up the road where there's no houses, no habitation, and, and release them. So coming on a, a retreat, gathering together, um, uh, learning to pick up the the uh, ups and downs of our life, the moods and and uh, feelings, the body, the personality, all of our. Uh, our realm to to pick that up to to learn how it works and to to handle it wisely to learn from it you know this is really what we're doing here we're we're gathering together to learn how to handle our lives to understand our lives what what is a human being why are we the way we are and what are we anyway <laughs> what is this we're coming here to study this to, to look and to explore, but yeah, if we're doing this, then just like uh, the 
the description of how to pick up a snake. It's just the, you know, the same way. You, there's certain methodologies that you do. And if we really want to be successful and uh, remove ourselves from danger to, to be in a, a safe and clear place, then there's uh, certain ways to go about doing it. So uh, when we, we start these retreats, then we um, formally establish the, the eight precepts as the, uh, the framework for conduct, action, and speech. Agreement that we all abide by. So this creates a, a zone of, of safety, of trust for us. And so that uh, we know that, uh, as uh, those of you who are familiar with the eight precepts, um, no, then the, you know, the first is that of, of not killing, not deliberately taking life. And this extends into not harming. So by deliberately taking the precept of, of not killing, then it means that we're, uh, we don't have to worry about each other. No one's going to, no matter how annoyed your, your roommate is with you and your snoring, <laughs> they're not going to hit you. <laughs> you take a, a standard non-violence, non-harming. We can trust each other. Uh, we... Uh, even if we're we're really upset or angry, then we we uh, we don't resort to to harming to uh, to to violence. It's a, a, a standard that we all undertake. We all agree to. Even against little creatures, if it's uh, when the warm weather comes and the mosquitoes come out, we start being nibbled upon. Just you know, we remember. Oh well, I like my lunch. <laughs> mosquitoes are just they're just feeling hungry and. You know, who am I to to uh, to decide that they should no longer live just because they are attracted to the smell and heat of my body? You don't have to kill them. You don't have to necessarily let them feed. <laughs> but uh, just because they're annoying or painful, you don't have to deprive them of life. Saying, you know, my comfort is more important than your lifespan. So, whack. <laughs> uh, we, we undertake not to live, uh, to operate in that way, but you you can gently kind of Blow them away. Also, you can you could feed them if you want. It's uh, it, it is said that the, the mosquitoes that actually bite us are the expectant females. Males only eat plant juices, and also the the females without eggs. It's they they need the extra protein for their offspring. That's how I heard. <laughs> so, if it, not that I'm trying to emotionally blackmail anybody, but <laughs> if you want to provide for the expectant mothers. <laughs> you can let them occasionally feed you know, and have a, a bite to eat. The uh, second precept is that on uh, not stealing. Or the, the, the literal wording of it is to not take that which is not given. And here you know, we've all uh, come together and the, uh, uh, the <coughs> accommodation and, and food and support that IMS provides is really splendid. This is you know, ideal living conditions. Yeah. All of the retreats, you don't have to think about um, what's going to be on the menu. Well, you can think you can think about what's going to be on the menu. Maybe some of you already even know. <laughs> oh yeah, day three, <laughs> such and such. But you don't have to think about it. You can just sh- uh, show up at the, at the, at the mealtime and, and breakfast time and there is food offered. This shelter, these beautiful rooms, these buildings, uh, hot water, cold running water in the taps, uh, everything's provided for. We don't have to, if we need anything that we haven't bought, medicines or anything, then you know, different things can be provided in different ways. 
things have been offered. So we don't have to help ourselves to anything that doesn't belong to us, that is the property of other people. So just as the first precept is about the effect of violence and, and uh, harm and deals with our, our own love of, of feeling safe and protected and offering that to others, so too the, the second precept is about the, the power of ownership, you know, that all beings love life and fear death. And, and the uh, second precept is about ownership, that... that uh, we have a certain relationship to the objects that we call ours. And if other people take them or move them around, then that's intrinsically upsetting or, or annoying or irritating or distressing. So we deliberately take on the, the precept of, of not uh, helping ourselves to other people's things or not, not stealing, not taking what does not belong to us, just living on what is, what is given, what, is, or what things belong to us. So it's a, a way of respecting the, the karma of, Ownership. And just as we, we like to know where our things are and not how other people take them or move them around, then similarly this is refraining from doing that to other people's things. So again, we can trust each other. We don't have to worry about uh, losing your coat or your shoes. or your... Unless some, <laughs> someone's mindfully removing the wrong coat from the hook and walking off outside by mistake. Now, the third precept is that of celibacy so that we undertake a, a standard of uh, no kind of sexual activity uh, with each other uh, during this time. And so that uh, as monastics, uh, say, you know, Ajahn Purnodhamma and I have these uh, long-term uh, precepts and, and principles, vows that we, we live by, and those on the retreat just undertake this for the period of, of our time together. So that what this means is that we can uh, give ourselves the opportunity to relate to each other in a... Uh, sisterly and, and brotherly way. We, we don't have to be kind of weighing each other up or you know, thinking of each other in terms of uh, opportunities or trying to look attractive, worrying about whether we're sort of <laughs> looking quite as spiffy as we could and wanting to impress this person or, uh, or feeling uh, you know, very... Uh, keen to sit close to that person we can we can recognize those urges or those impulses those habits but we can uh, uh, take the opportunity to lay those aside so this is a, a time when i don't have to follow that i don't have to be um and draw, uh, drawn by that I, I don't have to have that dimension of things dominating my life which is not saying that it's sort of unnatural or bad but just that it can take up a lot of attention a lot of energy uh, and that uh, it's like giving ourselves a, a holiday, doing ourselves a favor, not having to see each other in that way. Uh, so this is uh, also why we have the precept about not wearing jewelry or makeup. Uh, not, um, and, uh, in, and along with that, this is the seventh precept. We've hopped ahead a few. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's also to do with not, uh, not having to feel that you need to be attractive or look smart, or look special. This is a, f- a wonderful opportunity to be frumpy. I've often uh, mentioned uh, on retreats, there was this very uh, very dignified English lady called Sicily, who used, who used to live near our monastery in Sussex in England. And she, uh, her, her, uh, she was a, a, a widow. Her husband had died a few years before, and he'd been the British ambassador to Japan. 
So she got used to living in very high society realms and being the ambassador's wife and all of that sort of goes with it. And she was a very literary type as well. And I remember very vividly one day she said, I so enjoy coming to Chithast because here I can be a potato. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely straight face. She meant, she meant every, every syllable. It was such a relief. I mean, she was actually quite a smart potato. So. But she, uh, it was a huge relief just to not have to dress and to be kind of making an impression or looking good. or just, She could just be a potato. And so this is not a wonderful opportunity to be uh, 80 potatoes. I mean, yeah, we were even dressed for it, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so the precept about celibacy is also a lot to do with just having, uh, uh, both offering that space to other people and enjoying that space yourself. You can lay that aside for a while. The fourth precept is that about speech, and uh, normally this is uh, about not. Uh, Lying or gossiping or backbiting or swearing, those kind of things. But we make it very uh, simple and comprehensive during these retreats. Uh, so we have uh, no speech, except aslat. So noble silence, so that um, if you are, say, working together and in, in, you're doing some vegetable chopping in the kitchen or you're, you're working, um, uh, doing some, uh, one of the, the many chores and you need to know where the garden rakes are or where to find the potato peeler, then it's quite okay to say, where's the potato peeler or where do I find the rake? But uh, otherwise, uh, just to refrain from speech with, with, uh, uh, with each other, with your roommates, with uh, the other people on the retreat or staff members or your old buddies, no matter how important you feel it might be or how marvelous, the, you know, interesting the thing that you want to pass on, Again, just give yourself, give yourself the space to not, not engage, to not express, to just leave it alone. And see if the world keeps turning without you uh, coming up with that, that wonderful, interesting comment. There'll be times for, for conversations with, with ourselves, with uh, Tarni, Ajahn Puna and I uh, in the interview times. But uh, noble silence is an opportunity just to be... Uh, Contemplating that that urge to engage, to to express, and leave it aside. And intoxicants, uh, we allow tea <laughs> and uh, that's about as far as it goes. <laughs> but uh, so uh, refraining from intoxicants and uh, drugs that cause confusion, uh, lack of mindfulness, and this is uh, out of recognizing the um, the. The more mind, the basic principle of, of meditation and Dharma practice is that the more uh, mindful we are, the less we suffer. And the, the less mindful we are, the more we suffer. And we might not actually experience the suffering at the time. You know, we can be kind of numb or, kind of, or overexcited and not realize that we just ran through the plate glass window. <laughs> but it doesn't take long for the, for the excitement to wear off or the, the, uh, the numbness to wear off. And then, then we feel a great deal of pain and difficulty.
So it's just uh, training ourselves to, to use mindfulness as the outlet and to, to cherish that. So we lay aside sort of all the intoxicants. The uh, sixth precept is the one about only eating in the morning time. So vikala bhojana, to only eat at the appropriate time. So again, this is about simplicity and giving ourselves space so we don't have to, to think about uh, about food all day long. Uh, again, other people are preparing it and, and putting it all together and thinking about what to offer. But we can relate to food just as to say with... Um, with uh, possessions and, and sexuality and uh, speech. It's about creating simplicity around food so that we, we eat food just to be fuel for the body, to keep our, our, ourselves alive and to uh, continue the opportunity to uh, develop wholesome qualities. And the fact that it might taste good is, uh, is pleasant, but not the, the whole object of the exercise. So we can, we can simplify our attitude towards food and just uh, to uh, get a bit of an objectivity on all the obsessiveness about I like this, I like that, what's, you know, what's going to come next and, and just, or just the sheer comforting value of nibbling, chomping away and when you feel upset or distracted, where's the fridge? I need to eat something, anything, I want to eat. You don't really want to eat, you just want to stop having to deal with what's going on in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know that but then when there aren't any nibbles nothing is available you haven't uh, you've, you've been of, uh, honest and noble and you haven't bought any snacks in your luggage don't worry I'm not psychic <laughs> so if you just had the thought he knows <laughs> what Ajahn Chah would say they say well, you know that when we're, we're <laughs> We sometimes, well, more often than not, we're worried about someone else finding out about our wrongdoings. He says, well, someone knows, and you know who? You. <laughs> You're watching, even if nobody else is. <laughs> you know. So uh, you have to live with it. So anyway, we, uh, we undertake that precept. So we let things be very simple. So we don't take that uh, snacking and nibbling and uh, or just uh, having food at any time that we like during the day. We say, okay, we fuel up in the morning time, in the breakfast time, the main meal time, and that's it. Just run on that for the rest of the day. Fine, great, don't have to think about it. Then the, uh, the seventh precept, revisiting the seventh precept. So along with um, uh, absence of adornments and, and trying to, make ourselves look smart and attractive, then it's also avoiding distractions. So um, those of you who bought your iPods with your uh, thousand and one favorite tunes stashed away or your the um, latest uh, editions of Survivor, Desperate Housewives, you take the battery out, <laughs> hang up your earphones, Leave them aside, yeah. Just to not seek distraction through entertainment. Again, not because there's anything intrinsically wrong with desperate housewives, <laughs> desperate house husbands, to be completely non-sexist, even, or uh, or you know the latest football games or whatever your you know, obsession is. Um, there's nothing intrinsically uh, wrong.